Well, good morning, church. How are you? It's good to see you. Glad that you guys are here today. Uh, listen, we had a great first service, but I love the opportunity to be able to worship with the people of God. Uh, it is a privilege we get to share together. Hey, before we jump into the sermon for today, I got something I want to make you, uh, the guys in the room aware of. This coming Sunday night, we have a men's dinner we would love for you to come and be a part of. Uh, we have done men's breakfast before. We have done dinners. Uh, this is a special event. We're actually inviting other people outside of our church to come as well. Thank you, buddy. Uh, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, this coming Sunday night uh, at 5 o'clock, we're going to have dinner. Uh, and then at 6 o'clock, Barnabas Piper is going to be with us. Uh, Barnabas Piper this is the son of John Piper but he's a pastor in his own right, uh, an author. He's got a podcast. Uh, some of you might remember, uh, he actually came and did our men's retreat a couple years ago. And we got to spend some time with him, uh, which was really well received. Uh, but he's got a new book called Belong. Uh, and it's all about being a part of a local church and why it's important to be a part of a local congregation. Uh, and so look, if you can come for dinner or not, but dinner is at five. Uh, 6 p.m. is when we'll have the event with him. It'll last about an hour, hour 15. Uh, but look, for all the guys in the room, it, it can be very hard uh, to get connected to other men, right? Uh, you're busy, you got things with your own family. and said, man, I, I've got a few friends, but it's sometimes just hard to make new friends. Or maybe you're new here and said, Adam, I'd love to get connected, but it's just, uh, that is not an easy thing. And we get that. This is one of those opportunities to start making new connections where you can come at dinner and sit down and get to know a few guys, right? And you just kind of sit and talk and make some new friends. This happens at every one of our breakfast, uh, our men's retreat. This is an easy event for you to jump in on. One night we would love for you to be a part of it. So don't find an excuse, right? Don't, don't just pawn it off. I mean, we would love for you to be here. We do need you to sign up, especially if you're coming uh, to dinner. We want to make sure we have enough food for everybody. Ten bucks for dinner, by the way, super cheap. Uh, we, we would love for you to come. Uh, but please don't wait until like, uh, I, I don't know, at Sunday or like Saturday, May 6th at 9 p.m. to sign up. That's not helpful, right? Uh, we, we actually need you to sign up early. And so today, when you get that text, right, uh, just go ahead and click on that, sign up for it, be here next Sunday, go ahead and commit. It's going to be a great event. Uh, I'm excited about being there, uh, excited about seeing Barnabas again. We would love for you to join. So make your plans this coming Sunday, May 7th uh, at 5 and then at 6 p.m. Uh, but grab your Bibles now. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2 verse 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Genesis 2 verse 18 as we're continuing this new sermon series on the secret of marriage. Uh, most of us in this room are married. Uh, most of us will be married at some point during our lives. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, so how does that work? How do you actually have a successful marriage? Not just God honoring, but an enjoyable, fulfilling and enriching marriage as God intends. And we're learning what that secret is. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 is where we're going to be uh, in just a minute. While you guys are all turning there, uh, let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you won the lottery? Imagine what that would be like, right? You say, Adam, we do not have a lottery in Alabama. I know, and I'm happy about that. But imagine that we did, or you just went out somewhere and said, I see all those little Powerball numbers. I want to go out. Imagine if you won the lottery, how would you feel? Because I would be ecstatic. I mean, I would be over the moon. That would be incredible, right? If somebody just dumped a large amount of money on you, that would change your life. Immediately, you would be overjoyed. You say, I do not have any more financial needs. I don't have to worry about my mortgage ever again, right? My, I'm gonna have a, a new life, new opportunities. I mean, new things that I can never do before. I mean, this is, this is an incredible change in my life. And we would be overjoyed for a lot, of a lot of time. I'm sure our friends would be overjoyed with us until they started asking for money, right? I mean, it would be all kinds of things. It would be incredible. But let's fast forward four or five years and ask, how do you feel now? 
You might think, well, I will still be overjoyed. But the sad reality is for many lottery winners, that's not the case. Back in 2001, there was a guy named David Lee Edwards. He lived in Kentucky, uh, and he won a share of the Powerball uh, that year. And overnight, he won $27 million. $27 million is now his to do with as he wishes. And you can imagine, he was ecstatic. He was overjoyed. And he immediately went out and bought whatever he wanted to. He and his wife, they thought this is going to transform their lives. This is going to make everything so much better. But over the course of the next few months and years, things began to change. In the first three months, they spent $3 million. In the first year, they spent $12 million. Almost half of what they got, they blew in one year. Five years after winning $27 million, David Lee Edwards was living in a storage shed with his wife, broke, uh, and within 10 years of winning, he would be alone, uh, dying of hospice, penniless. After winning $27 million, he lost everything and didn't have anything to show for it. It destroyed his life. And sadly, that is not an isolated story. When you begin to study lottery winners, what they'll tell you is this. 70% of lottery winners will spend all of the money in five years or less. 70% of lottery winners will spend all of the money, all of it in five years or less, and they end up with nothing. You think, how could that be? How could it possibly be that you could get that kind of a windfall, that kind of a blessing, and you squander it and end up bankrupt? Well, there is a kind of logic in it, right? Look, if you had never had that kind of money before, you may not know what to do with it, right? If you just suddenly have this money and you don't have the skills or the knowledge to know where to invest it, where to put it, how to make this money work for you, how to make it grow and so it can last a lifetime, all trust and all these different things. If you don't know the right people to talk to who can give you good advice about what you can do with that, it would be very possible to think, I've got so much money, it'll never run out and you just squander it and you end up bankrupt. And you say, Adam, this is a wonderful life lesson, but I got news for you. I am not going to win the lottery. Adam, we still don't have a lottery in Alabama, and I'm not even going to play the lottery, so this, is not, this does not apply to me. And you're right. We're not, we're not going to win, right? Statistically, nobody in this room, we're not going to win the lottery. But let me ask you about a different scenario. I want you to think about how you felt, married folks in the room, I want you to think about how you felt when you first fell in love with your future husband or wife. I want you to think about how you felt when you met the person you were going to marry. Because I bet you were ecstatic. Like you would hit the jackpot. Like you had finally found the person, right? You had found your, your future spouse. I mean, you were overjoyed. You fell in love. And you're like, this is amazing. This is incredible. This is going to change my life. Uh, the, the feelings were, were, just, were just overwhelming. And you said, Adam, I'm going to have a, a new life. I'm going to have a new lifestyle. I'm going to have a new, new opportunities. This changes everything. You go to a, uh, an altar, you get married, and you think my whole life is in front of us. I mean, this is going to be incredible. You think, what could possibly go wrong? And, and then fast forward five years in, or 10, or 15 or 20, and sadly, many people who felt like they had found the jackpot find themselves instead bankrupt. Bankrupt spiritually, emotionally, personally. Your, your marriage is, is falling apart. And you think, how, how did I go from this, this excess of riches in this relationship to having nothing? Sadly, some of those marriages have imploded 
And we know those people, friends of ours, family members. We've watched those marriages end in destruction. And you may be fearful that your marriage could end that very same way. And it's absolutely a possibility. But the solution would be the same. Look, just like with your money, we need to talk to people who understand what marriage is. Who can give us advice and counsel and insight to say, how do I nurture this marriage? How, how, do I, how do I cultivate it? How do I defend it? How do I protect it? How do I invest in my marriage to make sure that not only does it last a lifetime, but I actually get to enjoy this marriage for a lifetime? How does that occur? Well, you wouldn't just go talk to anybody. You would want to talk to people who actually know about marriage. I had friends back in the day, back when I was single, he says, man, you single people keep giving other single people advice about how to get married. It doesn't seem to be working for y'all very well. (laughs) And they were right. What did we know? We weren't married. (laughs) And sadly for some of us, you're looking to the culture, you're looking to yourself, you're looking to other people when instead we ought to go to the one place where we can truly learn about marriage. We go to the one who made it and we ask him, What is this for? How do I live in the kind of marriage that you want for me? And so that's what we're going through this whole series is to find out what does God say about marriage? What does he teach us? And so look, if you weren't here with us last week and I see some new faces, let me do a quick recap on last week. We learned a few things. Number one, our culture is trying to redefine marriage. You and I are living in a season and a time where our culture is trying to redefine the very idea of marriage. They say you can do whatever you want with it. You can mix up all the genders to however you want. It doesn't really matter. You can mix up the number of people in a marriage. It does not matter. Adam, you probably don't even need to get married. You don't need, who needs a piece of paper to say that you love somebody else? This is archaic. It's oppressive. You don't need this kind of idea. We're just going to kind of do whatever we want. We can live together. It doesn't matter. They're trying to literally redefine the concept of marriage itself. But we also found out something incredibly important. God is the author of marriage. When you go back to the beginning, God created this. He's not responding to a human problem. He says, no, I invented it. I created it. I made you in a very particular way to bring you together. And I mean it as a blessing. It's good. It is a blessing that I want to bestow upon you. And if you live in this marriage as God intends for you to, it absolutely can be that blessing. But here's the third thing that we learn, and it's probably most important for this series, Marriage is about the gospel. If you truly want to understand marriage, you need to understand the gospel. This is the secret, by the way, that the reason God gives us marriage is he's going to use marriage in our lives to help us understand the gospel. As we live with our spouse, as you live with your your husband or wife and God brings you together, God says, I'm gonna use this in your life to help you understand life in me. And look, this is why everyone needs to listen in the midst of a marriage series. Even for those of us who might be single or divorced or widowed, or you might be uh, looking to get married uh, later on. Listen, for, for all of us in the room, even if you're not married right now, God has something to teach you here because it's not just about marriage itself. God says, no, I wanna show you something about me. I want you to show you something about life in me. I'm gonna teach you about the gospel by looking at marriage. And so we all have something to learn here but you absolutely can learn something about your marriage. For the majority of us who are married in this room, God says, when you look to me, I'm going to show you how to live out the gospel in your marriage. The gospel can help you understand your marriage and your marriage can help you understand the gospel. 
So this morning, we're going to look into a passage we read last week. We didn't have time to really mine it. We're going to be in Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. Uh, This is the beginning. This is creation. God is not done creating. He has created Adam, but not Eve yet. Uh, And we kind of see what God does here in creating marriage for us. And so look at Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. Listen to what it says. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And from the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Those last two verses, verses 24 and 25, ought to be underlined in your scripture. These are seminal verses in scripture. Scripture constantly comes back to them. We learn about the foundation of marriage from these verses. Now, a couple things right off the bat. You, you notice that God is saying, I have created this, and it is good. Before sin enters into the picture, sin is in chapter 3. We're in chapter 2. God says, this is a part of my ordering of creation. I'm going to create man as a single being, pull him into two different, and then reunite them together. This is God's design for one man and one woman for one lifetime. This is God's design. You can have your own ideas about this, but if you would like to know what God created us to experience, he says, this is my design. This is my intent for all of us. One man, one woman, one lifetime. This is what I have created. But this relationship is unique. It is different from all the other relationships you and I have. We have all kinds of special relationships in our lives, but there is no relationship like the marriage relationship. And so look, I want to go over six foundations that really kind of shore up and undergird a marriage. Six things that we must defend, we must preserve, we must protect if you want to have a strong and stable marriage. Those six attributes are these. Marriage is exclusive. It is total, it is spiritual, it is also permanent, it is intimate, and it is creative. Six things that you are not going to find together in any other relationship. Now look, I had intended to try to cover all six of these in one sermon, and when I actually tried to do that, I quickly realized that if I did that sermon, both all of the children and preschool workers would hate me for that three-hour sermon. So um, I can't do that in one sermon, so we're going to break it up. We're going to do three of these things this week. We're going to do three of those things next week so we can do this in an orderly fashion. So I can't get all to it today. We will do this over the course of uh, this week and next week. So let's look at these three attributes uh, for today, exclusive, total, and spiritual. First foundation of marriage, it is an exclusive relationship. Marriage is an exclusive relationship. Look at verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Look at the first phrase. A man shall leave his father and mother. Now that is a provocative statement, especially in a very family-oriented culture like Judaism. 
You prize your family. You live with your family. You find your identity and your family, your clan, your tribe. You know all of your ancestors. Your family is crucial to you. And the first thing God says is you're going to leave your father and mother. Adam and Eve don't have a physical father and mother, but for all of us, we do. And the Bible says we're supposed to leave our father and mother. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean you're going to disown your parents, right? Uh, You still are required to honor your mother and father, and you're still going to have a relationship with them. In in Jewish culture, they actually wouldn't even leave the house. They would just build on a wing to the house for this new family, and the houses would just kind of get bigger as you went along. And and so this is not like 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 a rejection of your family. You're not leaving them relationally, but you are leaving them in priority. See, from now on, once you get marriage, the the center of authority, the center of importance leaves the house that you grew up in and resides in the house that you are now building. It leaves the family that you grew up in and it now resides in the family that you are now building. You're still a part of this family. You're still someone's son or daughter. But but if you're a son, listen, you're gonna leave the authority of your father and now you're gonna have your own family that you're gonna be an authority over. A daughter's gonna leave the authority of her father and she's gonna now join together with her husband in a new household. And this becomes the primary place of, of authority, of, of importance in your life. And this relationship is exclusive. Look what it says here. The two will become one flesh. They will be joined together, united. This word literally means to be glued together. And the Lord says there is no room here for anybody else. The the man and wife are brought together and made into one flesh and that is exclusive of everybody else, even important people like your parents and your friends. Now that's something you have to protect because if you're not careful, you allow other people into your marriage, other people who will kind of of gum up the works, if you will. But the Lord says, no, you you have nobody else in this relationship. That starts with parents. Listen, when a husband and wife get married, they create their own family unit and there has to be a leaving of your parents. Now, that can be hard for some of us. You might say, Adam, that's very hard. I talk to my parents every day. My mom's my best friend. My dad's my best friend. I talk to them multiple times a day and that's awesome. It's so great that you have a great relationship with your parents. However, if you're continually sharing things with your parents and you're not first sharing this with your husband or your wife, that is a problem and it can cause problems. When all of a sudden you've got this other person and and you're trying to bring them into your relationship, you haven't left home. You're you're still acting as if you're in this other home instead of realizing, no, I have been joined together with your husband or wife. I'm joined together as one. This is my primary relationship. It's to start with your spouse before you talk to anybody else. You gotta be a, a unit, a team, lock, solid, and you don't let anybody else in there. You can still talk to your parents, obviously, but they are not the primary person you're interacting with anymore. You have to center on this relationship you have with your spouse. And look, that's sometimes hard for the children who are going away and trying this out. That's sometimes hard for the parents who have a hard time letting go. And that may be some of y'all who are having your kids and they're going out of the house. They're going, they're leaving, but they're not leaving, right? You know, I mean, like, you're still, you're still coming over for Christmas, like our house for Christmas. Like, you're going to do all of our rituals. I mean, you're not going to change anything, right? And you sort of kind of put that guilt trip on them to make sure that they, they don't change anything of what's happened before. And, and, and that's, that's not okay. Because remember, they, they're creating their own family. 
And yes, they're going to interact with you, but you have to respect that they are their own family. This is a man and a woman united together. And we're not supposed to get in between there. We, we can't hinder that. And so parents, we have to give space and freedom for them to become this man and woman united together because if we constantly insert ourselves into that relationship, it is going to erode the foundation between them. And we can't have that. This is true not just for parents. It's also true for friends. When you get married, it actually does change your friendships. I told you last week I didn't get married until I was 37. Uh, and so that was hard for me because as I'm getting older, most of my friends got married. Uh, and it, was, it honestly kind of perturbed me uh, because when my friends would get married, uh, I began to realize that there was now this friendship that superseded my friendship with them. These two friends of mine now had a relationship that superseded my friendship with them. It changed things. They, they weren't gonna hang out with me as much anymore. We hung out, we're still friends, but, but it changed things. That was annoying, to be quite honest. It was. It was still right. Because guess what? They should prioritize their new spouse over their friends. When you get married, you change. You don't stay the way you are. You are now united. You can't go just by yourself into a friendship anymore. No, you go united with this person and you cannot allow other people into that relationship as if they are right there in the mix. You have friends, of course, but you do not let anybody get into the middle of that relationship. It will gum up the works. It will mess up your relationships. You have to prioritize your husband, your wife, your spouse above all other relationships because it's exclusive. This is something we have to constantly be uh, prepared against. Uh, you might have heard the phrase emotional affair before. This is something people, I just, I really didn't hear about this until the past 10, 20 years, but I said, well, well what's an emotional affair? Somebody might say, Adam, I, I've never cheated on my spouse, or I've never slept with anybody else, I, I've never done anything physically with, with anybody else, and that may be absolutely true, but it's possible for you to begin, instead of confide in your husband or wife, confide in your spouse, to go to them first, you begin to share your heart openly with somebody totally different. You begin to share and bear your soul to this, this other person and you find yourself being drawn to this other person. You find yourself really connecting emotionally with this other person and in, instead of being with your spouse and growing together and working through things and, and growing even closer together, you'll grow farther apart. Why? Because you're taking your heart and you're putting somebody else in the mix. And you gotta watch yourself on this because it might start out innocently enough but if you are not careful, that will destroy the foundation of your marriage. Why? Because it's exclusive. You have to recognize that this relationship is more important than all other relationships and you have to protect it, you guard it. Why? Because you are united, glued together. There's nothing that you do not share there. And look, this teaches us something about the gospel, does it not? Because when the Lord calls for our heart, he calls for all of us. He says, I will brook no rivals. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. We, we can't say to the Lord, Lord, I love you, but I also love all of these other things. I love you, but I also love all of these other idols, all of these other things that, that claim my heart and claim my allegiance. God, I'll give you a little bit of time, but, but look, I got a lot of other people and other things that I got to manage too. So you'll get some, and then I got to spread myself around with all these things. The Lord says, absolutely not. Because this relationship with him is exclusive. We serve God and God alone, amen. It is an even greater relationship than our marriage. 
To say, no, Lord, I give myself completely and totally unreservedly to you and you alone. Even if you don't get married, you need, this helps you understand what God calls us to in the gospel. We don't give him some of us. We can say, no, God, I serve you exclusively. You are the one that I am bound to. And so marriage at its core is an exclusive relationship. You have to guard that exclusivity. But here's the second thing. It is not only exclusive, it is total. It's total. When you get married, you are giving all of yourself to someone. You can't give just some of yourself. You are giving all of yourself to someone. Look back at verses 24 and 25 again. Look what it says. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The word hold fast is to join or unite. You are to hold fast to your wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And so look at the picture here. You are glued together. Every aspect of you. You come and bring everything to the table. Not part of you, but all of you. So much so that you would be naked and unashamed. To say, I hold nothing back. There's nothing that is hidden. There's nothing that I keep back for myself. No, all of me is being given to all of you. This is what you say in a wedding context, in a marriage context. Marriage is not like a Venn diagram. You see, ever seen a Venn diagram where you got two circles and they kind of overlap in the middle? And you got one over here, one over here, and there's a little bit in the middle. Some people say, well, I've got my stuff over here and you got your stuff over here. And then we'll share this stuff in the middle. That's our wedding, right? That's our marriage. But, but I'm still gonna keep this piece over here and you can keep that piece over there and we'll just share this stuff in the middle. Good marriage, right? No. No, it's a terrible marriage. No, with the Lord, when he thinks about marriage, it's not a little bit of overlap, it's complete overlap. He says, no, 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 listen, you share everything with your spouse. You don't get to hold anything back. If you have walls in your marriage, if you have secrets, if you have places to say, listen, I'm just not bringing that to the table. I'm not gonna be honest about this. I'm not going to share this. You are putting cracks in the foundation. You are setting your marriage up for destruction. Why? Because you're just saying, I'm not gonna have a a solid foundation. I'm gonna wall off this part, partition this part, crack this part off and keep it separate. So that begs the question, is there anything that you're holding back from your spouse, any part of your life that you just say, I'm just not going to share this with the person that God has given me to marry? And so I wanna talk about a couple of aspects or ways that really fleshes itself out in life. And and look, let me be clear here. Um, I can't tell you exactly what to do in every aspect of your marriage. We can't go beyond scripture. So scripture doesn't tell us exactly what to do. I can't say you have to do this or can't do that, but, but we can at least ask the question, why? And we let the wisdom of the Bible guide us to say, okay, why am I doing what I am doing? And is this encouraging me? Is this helping me to bring all of who I am in my marriage? Or is this actually detracting from that? Is that taking away from that? So let's talk about a couple aspects. Let's talk about your money for a second. Do you have separate bank accounts? Is it true in your marriage you say, I'm just gonna keep our money completely separately? Look, I'm sure there might be some sort of justification for that in certain circumstances, but do you see how that might be sending the wrong signal in your marriage? Well, you're basically saying something, hey, this is my money. I'm gonna spend it on what I want. You got your money. You spend it on what you want. And we got a little money in the middle. We'll put on the mortgage and we'll take care of that. But I got my stuff so I can go buy my toys. And you got your stuff. You can go buy your toys, but I'm not lending you stuff. You gotta ask me for that. That's my money. You got your money. You have your money. But it's, we're not gonna have that together. Do you see how that might be sending a wrong signal? 
You're basically saying, you can have part of my life, but not all of it. You can have part of my earnings, but not all of it. You can have part of my livelihood, my talents, but not all of it. I, I gotta have an escape hatch. I gotta, I gotta have something just for me. And, and you're, you're holding that back. Do, do you see how that might be sending a signal that you're not actually unified? Yeah, but Adam, that is, that's hard. Man, I mean, we'd have to talk about things. We'd have to like decide and like agree on things to spend things on. I'd have to ask her if I could buy this toy first and I don't want to do that, right? Uh, yeah, you'd have to have some conversations because guess what? It's not your money. It's hers. It's not her money. It's yours. These are together. This is what happens when you get married. You share everything with your spouse. So why would you be doing that? Here's the second thing. Let's talk about your phones for a second. Is there any reason why your wife can't get into your phone at all points possible? Is there any reason why your phone ought to be locked out from your wife? Wives, is there any reason why your husband can't open your phone and look at every single thing you do at any point possible? <laughs> you guys didn't see it. You guys just got so still. It's like, it's like everybody's eyes just went, but it was like, don't move, don't move. He'll know it's me. Don't move, don't move. Everyone just got like super still with your eyes like bugged out. It was crazy. Some of y'all are freaking out right now. I don't want my wife to see my phone. Why? Why? Why would there ever be a case that you can't show your wife what's in your phone? Why can your husband not see what's in your phone? He'll see what I'm texting. Uh, that's a good thing. And if it's not, you have other things you need to clean up. Listen, why would there ever be a case where you, you can't see what, what, what's going on in, in each other's lives? Why would you say, nope, I'm going to hide that. Nope, I'm going to keep that. Nope, I'm going to keep that over here. When you make that a habit and you've got secrets and you're putting walls there, you are setting yourself up for the destruction of your marriage. Because you're telling yourself, it's okay for me to keep things only for myself and not bring all of that to the table. Why, why, why would we do that? Are, are, is there some circumstance where that might be appropriate? Maybe, but, but why are you doing that? Here's another thing. What about separate vacations? Look, these things can sometimes be helpful. Like you have like a guy's trip or a girl's trip. Like you go and connect with like, you know, old friends from college or maybe even take like a private retreat, right? You can go on by yourself to go spend some time with the Lord. This can be very helpful uh, just in your friendships. It can be helpful in your marriage. Uh, so there's, there's places for that. But, but let's ask a question of how you think about yourself if you go on a, on a vacation without your husband or wife. If you're going out with all your college buddies or all your college friends, do you revert back to a time where you weren't in college? Do you begin acting like you did when you weren't actually married to your spouse? Because if you are and you're seeing this as like an escape valve from your marriage, okay, that is a deep warning sign. And it is completely inappropriate. If you're on a great vacation that you go on without your spouse, you ought to come back to your spouse more loving, more appreciative, more, more excited about your life with them. You, you leave any place you go, whether it be a business trip or a vacation or whatever, you always leave knowing, I am married. I, I'm married. I'm always connected to my spouse. I would never go anywhere and consider myself not in that state. And so if you were ever going to take a, a trip like that without your spouse, I mean, is this something that's going to enhance your relationship or is it suddenly pulling you away? Because if you leave those things for a, uh, enough length of time, it will erode the foundation of your marriage. It's total. You don't get to hold anything back. By the way, this is why you should be very choosy about who you marry. Because if you're not ready to do that, then you're not ready to get married, period. Students, do not marry quickly. Don't, all right? Be choosy. 
You need to be very picky. Why? Because you learn to share everything. And look, this is what the Lord teaches us. What's the very first commandment God gives us? The most important commandment God gives you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Do you see what he asks of us? He asks everything. He doesn't say love me with some of your heart, a, a bit of your strength, all right? Just kind of part of your, your life. He says, no, I want you to love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. He covers every aspect of you. It's not just the spiritual part of you. He says, no, every bit of you, you are to bring to the table. I never come to the Lord and says, God, I'm gonna give you part of my heart, but I'm not gonna give you this. God, I'm gonna give you some of my life. I'm not gonna give you this. Can you, can you imagine? We don't go to the Lord and just say, God, can you forgive me for some of my sins, but not all of them? God, can you break me somewhat alive and leave some portion of me dead? No, we said, I am dead. I wanna be born again, fully alive. God, don't just forgive some of my sins. Forgive all of my sins. I hold nothing back. The old me is dead and gone. I am fully and totally surrendered to the Lord. This is what he calls of us. And then here's the great thing. Not only does he ask that of us, he gives that in return. This is shocking. This is scandalous. Do you know what the Lord is saying? He's saying, not only do I'm asking all of you, but I'm gonna give all of myself back to you. He does not have to do this. God is not required. God has every right in the universe to look at us and say, I want everything and give nothing back. He would still be God. And you know what instead he does? He says, no, I'm gonna give you all of me. So much so that I'm gonna take my very Holy Spirit and, and put him inside of you. I want you to be united to me, abiding in me. I and you and you in me. I'm gonna take my very spirit and put myself inside of you that you may be filled with the very fullness of God. He is offering the fullness of himself to us because he loves us. He is committed to us. Do you see how marriage shows us the gospel? as you learn and work this out with a very real person of trying to constantly surrender and give yourself over to somebody else, it's a picture of how we constantly have to learn and to surrender ourselves to the Lord, but he's already given himself to us because it is a total giving of himself that he gives to us. And so we work that out in our marriage. Now, that's hard. Your spouse is not a god. Your spouse is not perfect, right? And neither are we. And so this is hard to surrender to somebody who's not going to be perfect and who might even hurt us unintentionally at times and we hurt them unintentionally at times and you have to really work through that. But this is the crucible that teaches you how to constantly surrender everything to the Lord. So when you come to marriage, it is a total surrender of everything in our lives. But here's the third thing and possibly the most important this morning. Marriage is exclusive, it is total, but it's also spiritual. Marriage is spiritual. Now, this is the thing our culture does not understand. This is the thing that it is trying to obliterate at all points possible, that marriage is spiritual. They don't want to believe that. Do you know what it takes to get married in the state of Alabama right now? I've been doing weddings for, I don't know, 15, 20 years. 
Uh, and it used to be that in Alabama, I would have, you have to have like an officiant, right, who's licensed by the state or recognized by the state, and you had witnesses and all this other stuff. That has been changed in the past few years. Here is all it takes to be married in the state of Alabama right now. You go down to the courthouse, you fill out a form, you sign it, you have it notarized, you turn it in, you are married. No rings, no vows, no church, no minister, a form. You fill it out, notarize it, and in the eyes of the state, you're married. Here's what you need to know. That might be good enough for the state of Alabama. It's not good enough for the Lord. That might be good enough for the legal ranking of marriage where the state will say, we consider you legally married. But if you want to get married in the eyes of God, it is more than that. It is not simply the filling out of a form. It is not simply a change in your legal standing. He says, no, it is a spiritual union that takes place. You do not have a marriage until you understand it is God who is binding you together. Let me show you this. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter six, uh, or, or 19 rather, Matthew 19, uh, verses five and six. Uh, some people come to Jesus and they're asking him about divorce. And look what he says in response. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, does that sound familiar? It's Genesis 2. We just read it, right? So what is Jesus doing? He is affirming the Genesis account. However you think about how that went down, he's saying God made man and woman to be united together. God did this. This is what God intends. He is affirming the Genesis account. But in verse 6, he now brings commentary. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay, so he answers their question about divorce and says, don't let man do this. Divorce is very serious. But look what he says before that. What God has joined together. Don't miss that. What God has joined together. Do you know what binds you together in marriage? It's not just your feelings. It is not an act of the state. Do you know what binds you together as a married couple? The Lord. He is spiritually knitting you together. It is an actual supernatural mingling of souls where he glues you together spiritually. Whether you felt that happen or not, this is what God does. He glues you together. That, that we're joined there, that's what it means. Glues you, unites you together. But it's God who's doing the joining. And so, no, it's not enough to go, uh, it's not enough to go and, and just have the, the state say whatever they're going to say. Let me show you something else. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 16 and 17. Uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, and the Corinthians have some terrible ideas. Uh, they are convinced that it's okay for them to be Christians and sleep with whoever they want. Uh, they can be married and sleep with whoever they want. They're like going, dude, this is just my body. Spiritually, I'm cool. That's just a physical act. And Paul's like, oh, no. Um, and so he's explaining this to them. And look what he says. He goes, don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Look at this language. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. All right, this is fascinating. Okay, again, in verse 16, the two will become one flesh. There's Genesis 2 again. So now Paul is hearkening back. Paul is taking us back to what God says in Genesis 2. This is what God has designed for marriage. This is what he intended it to be. But look at verse 16. Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? 
Okay, this word joined there in verse 16, it is the same word in Genesis 2 where it says a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, be joined to his wife. And then it says becomes one body with her and the two will become one flesh. Do you see what Paul's saying? He says, man, you got a lot more than you bargained for when you went to that prostitute. Listen, you thought that was a physical activity. Here's what happened. God bound you together. You are joined. Something spiritual occurred, whether you intended it to occur or not. This is what is happening. This is why sex is reserved for marriage. He says, God is binding you together. So when we get married, listen, something spiritual is happening. You can't simply look at this on a personal plane as if, as if our emotions can carry this or our willpower can carry this or the, or the desires of a culture can carry this. He says, no, something spiritual is occurring. If you ignore this, you ignore everything. So look, when it comes to our weddings, when it comes to marriages, we've got to keep this in mind. Look, if you still have a wedding in your future, we ain't gonna do any more Lord of the Rings weddings. We're not, okay? I don't care. We're not doing a Harry Potter wedding where everybody gets you all dressed up and here's your deal. You got all your wands out. It's a fake wand. It's not real. You know that, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter, but I want to dress up. That's not how we dress up. It's make-believe. That is not real. We're not gonna do that. And listen, get an actual minister who knows God to lead your wedding. Don't get Joe Blow who got, I got ordained from the internet school of nobodies. I mean, listen, <laughs> not real. Not real. It's fake. No one cares. God does not care. Have someone who actually knows God to be at your wedding. Why? Because something spiritual is occurring. Listen, when you look at a wedding, it's interesting. Uh, something happens twice. Uh, a couple comes down the aisle, father in between, uh, and they have a declaration of intent. And the first thing they do, right at the, at the bottom of the altar, I, I ask them, I say, well, are you gonna have this woman, will you have this man to have and to hold, to love and to cherish until death do your part? And they say, I will, or I do. Then they come up to the altar, they face one another, and then they take vows. And those vows are almost identical to what I already asked at the beginning of the, of the wedding. Why? They already said so. Why are we saying them again? Well, when you're saying your vows, you're saying them to one another. Who are they saying them to first? They're saying those before the Lord. Because you don't simply come before your future spouse. You come before the Lord in this company. And to the Lord, you say, no, I intend to marry this person. Listen, you are the author of marriage. You are the creator of marriage. You are the one who binds us together. And I need you to be the one who is at the center of this marriage. Do you see now why your life in Jesus Christ is so important to your marriage? Do you see why your spiritual walk is so important to your marriage? If you don't have a walk with Jesus Christ, that means the only energy you have to draw upon is yours. Good luck. You're gonna get what, two years, three Five, if you're lucky, you can't do it. I can't do it. Nobody can do it. There's an impossibility to marriage to take two sinful people and get them to be fully united. We can't do this in our own power, our own feelings, but the Lord can. He can bind you together. And then here's the great part. He'll help you. You see, he's invested in your marriage. He has a vested interest. He bound you together. He will help you. He will encourage you. He will empower you to do what you and I could not do on our own. Why would we not look to him? Why would we not invest in our own personal walk to be praying for our spouse, to be praying for our family, to be making sure you're doing what you're doing right now, coming to worship, making sure you're, you're building your life in Jesus Christ because he is the foundation of any successful marriage as God intends it. This is what he's asking of us. 
Why would we ignore that? You can't ignore that a marriage is spiritual. But it gets better. Put that First Corinthians passage back there up there for just a second. Remember what we said in verse 16. And he, don't you know that he is joined to a prostitute? Same word for Genesis 2. Look at verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Same word. That word for joined there in verse 17 is the same word in 16. It's the same word in Genesis 2. You see, the gospel is right there in your marriage, but that's deeper than you think. The Lord is saying this, I don't simply want you to be worshiper, number four billion and two. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, he joins himself with you. He unites himself with you. He literally wants there to be no break between you. And look, whether you get married or not, this is our future. He says, listen, I am the bridegroom of the church. We are the bride. He says, you're gonna live in me forever. But look at the depth of what he is offering. You become one with me, one spirit. Just like a man and a wife, they come together to create one flesh, a one married couple. The Lord says, no, you in me, we are one together. That is mind boggling. That is shocking. Some of us are settling for just the barest taste that the Lord is good. Just the barest hint of walking with him. And he is offering you the deepest, richest relationship imaginable. And marriage is your test case to show you in the same way you bring everything, you'll share everything. God is going to share everything. He is inviting you into a depth of life with him that we can barely comprehend. This is what he's offering to us. What would happen is if when you and I live in our marriages, or if you're not married, you're looking to be in a marriage where you say, this is the kind of marriage I want. It is exclusive. It is total. It is spiritual. It is absolutely possible to squander a fortune. It is absolutely possible to have a ton of money, and go bankrupt. And it is absolutely possible to have a great marriage that collapses. It is absolutely possible to hit the jackpot with your spouse and over time allow that to be undermined and destroyed. Our marriages need to be preserved and protected and invested in and the only way we can do that is to look to the one who knows marriage best, the one who created and said, Father, will you show me how to invest in the exclusivity of my marriage, in the total giving of myself, in the receiving of my spouse, but also the spiritual nature of marriage. When we invest in marriage as God intends it, when we rely on his spirit to help us, this is where you find the power for an incredibly fulfilling, enriching life, not just with your spouse, but with the Lord as well. That's the secret of marriage. So do this right by our heads and close your eyes for just a moment. We'll look at more next week. As we begin to wrap up, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of worship. I wonder if this morning the Lord's opening your eyes to some things that you need to work on. You, you might be saying, Adam, I think I have, I've got a great marriage, and I, I, I pray that that's absolutely true, but, but to continue to have that great marriage, it's, it's got to be invested in, protected, preserved. Has the Lord brought any conviction this morning of places where maybe you've gotten loose? 
Loose with your conversations with other people. Loose in the things that you're willing to allow. Loose in, in the things that you constantly invested in or in the past or, or need to invest in now. Maybe you've allowed too much familiarity with other people to jeopardize your marriage. Maybe you've been holding something back. and say, nope, I'm not going to share that. Can't be that open. Can't be that honest. It's not helping you. It's just keeping your spouse at arm's length. And honestly, you're just keeping God at arm's length. You may have to do some new things that are uncomfortable. But we offer all of ourselves. And above all, your marriage is spiritual. God created it. He ordains it. He solidifies your marriage. He holds you together. And he can help you. Why would we not lean on him? I pray for every single marriage here that the Lord would bring us to a place where we see marriage as he intends and that he would not only give us the power, but we would receive his wisdom, his power, his love, his direction to know how to chase after him, to have the kind of marriages that God wants for us. And for everybody here who's not married, whether you want to be or not, I pray that today is a day we can see how to honor marriage, how to, how to search for and really pray for, if you're looking to be married, the kind of marriage that God wants for you. Remember, he's for you. He can help you in that. Don't do this on your own. Trust in him, and he will bring us to that place where we understand the secret of marriage. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift that our spouses are. God, we do not deserve them. We know, Father, that, that we all got the better end of the deal. We ourselves know ourselves, and we know all of our, our struggles and our flaws and the places where we're not the greatest prize. And so, Father, we're going to need your help. For, for any couple in this room, we, we, we just need your help. God, to bind us together when we don't know how to do that. Father, to bring us together when there, there seems to be problems and issues. Father, to, to take us through lean times or, or, or dark times or confusing times. Lord, Lord our, our willpower is running out. Our feelings come and go. Lord, but you don't. You raise the dead. Lord, you bring dead things to life. You inspire, you create, you, you empower Lord, we just cannot do that on our own, but we want our marriages to be beacons of you. And so, Father, show us what that looks like. Show us how to follow after you. And, Father, if there's any place where these foundations are being attacked or threatened or, or, or broken, Lord, could today, by your Holy Spirit, could you shore us up as we turn to you, the author and creator of marriage, the bridegroom of the church. God, show us how to honor you in our marriage. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.